Well, today, um, whether you're visiting today here in person or if you're online watching back at home, I, I like to affectionately refer to Crosswinds as the land of misfit toys. Each of us here is a little bit broken in some way. And you might resonate with this. You might feel kind of like a misfit in this world. And others of you may not resonate with that so much, and, and you might strive for perfection, and, and you, you might struggle to admit your misfit status. However, this place is a place where honesty prevails, and, and we embrace our misfitness, <laughs> um, and we understand that those who feel like misfits in this world need a home that accepts and loves them, even in their brokenness. And I, and I believe that the Bible teaches that God has a, a special place for the misfits of this world, the, the lost and the lonely. And he, he desires to bring them into his eternal family. And friends, that is the essence of the Christmas message, offering hope to all of us misfits. Our series today is uh, that we're starting for the next four weeks is a, a promise to misfits. We're going to explore this theme. You know, we find ourselves misfits in this world uh, and estranged from God due to our sin. And sometimes it's because of the sins of our parents and the pervasive impact that sin has created in our lives. And this collective sinfulness has all kind of marooned us on this world, this island of, of misfit toys. And yet there was a promise, a promise to his misfit children who had disobeyed and the serpent that deceived them. In Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And, and that passage is known as the Proto-Evangelum, or the first gospel in the Bible. And the word gospel means good news. And it is indeed good news for all who feel like misfits. It reassures us that God, who does not lie, will destroy the power of the one who made us all to feel like misfits in this world. This world that God created for us. And, and that his son would come someday and deliver us from our brokenness. And, and the entire narrative of the Bible revolves around this ancient promise being fulfilled. That's what the whole story of the Bible is about. That's what the story of Christmas is about. God coming to live as a misfit in this world like one of us and to crush that serpent who trapped us on this island of misfit toys. And so today's message is titled, Misfits to Majesty. So all you misfits, I want you to open your Bible or your Bible app to Matthew chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, um, raise your hand. The deacons will bring you a Bible. And you can keep that one and, and, and continue to read through Matthew. Let, but let's explore the majesty of God's good news this Christmas for us misfits. Now, typically, 
messages about Christmas are, are drawn from the book of Luke because it, it details the circumstances of Jesus' birth. However, you have a misfit pastor. And I'm, I'm choosing the book of Matthew for this series, which is a little more difficult, um, but it's beautiful. Matthew himself, he, he was a misfit. He was hated, and he was outcast by his own people due to his profession as a, a tax collector. His original name was Levi, which in the Hebrew means attached. He was attached to the Jewish or the Hebrew tribe. He was linked with the, the name Levi to a, a priestly class of Hebrews. But he was outcast. But this Jesus we're going to talk about today came and gave this misfit a new name, Matthew, which means gift of God. Can you imagine being someone everybody hated? And then this man comes, this disciple of misfit comes and he, and he loves you and he renames you a gift to God. He probably never felt like a gift to anyone. But God transformed Matthew into a gift for our world. His, his prologue to the gospel is the shortest of the four. And it's followed by this long genealogy that's easy to skip over. But he ever wondered why it's there? I've been wondering that the last couple weeks and, and studying it every day. This, this book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's from Matthew 1.1. And, and in this opening sentence, I believe Matthew is telling the Jewish people to whom the book of Matthew is written that the promised one, the deliverer, had come. And this use of the word genealogy is significant. If you go back to Genesis 2.4, it says this, after God created the heavens and the earth, it, it, it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. See, the creation unfolded in generations, is what the Bible's saying. From nothing to the heavens, to the earth, to light and day and to night and to water and land and vegetation and seed, Plants and stars, sea creatures and land creatures, and finally man and woman. And, and here in Matthew, he tells his audience of a new creation that God has brought out about through pairs of misfit people throughout the Jewish history. Jesus is the new Adam, but he is the incorruptible one. And Paul writes this, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, speaking of Jesus, is a man from heaven, 1 Corinthians 15, 45-47. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is portrayed as something new, a, a life-giving spirit who brings new life to all of us misfits. He is called a son of David, by Matthew, to affirm Jesus' kingly heritage, that he is God's anointed one, or, or Messiah, the one who would deliver his people. See, all the misfits of the Hebrew people were, were waiting for the Messiah. And those that believed Jesus was the Messiah were the ones that called him the son of David. But Matthew also called him the son of of Abraham, to signify him as more than a king, 
but as the one who would fulfill God's ancient promise. Ancient promises to Abraham. But, but not just for the people of Abraham, to, 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 to all the Hebrew misfits, but to all misfits. Because in Genesis 12, 3 and, and 22, 18, God promises Abraham that through his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And, and by calling Jesus the son of Abraham, Matthew is declaring that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise for all people. So misfits, it does not matter who you are <coughs> or what family line you come from. It's God's intention to bless you today, to bless you with his son and to bring you back to him. The, the genealogy of Jesus, starting with the misfit Abraham. He was a misfit. He was a, a man without a country. He was a man wandering in the desert. And this is where Matthew begins. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah, his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Solomon, and uh, uh, Solomon, and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Matthew's gospel or his genealogy is unique. It, it does affirm Jesus' claim as Messiah by linking him to this patriarchal family line, but it also mentions women, and that's, that's something the Jews didn't do. Unless they mentioned, you know, some of the uh, uh, women that were looked on maybe more favorably in, in the line like Rebecca or Sarah or Leah or Rachel. But instead, Matthew mentions four misfit women of kind of moral questioning. I, I know a pastor that preached a sermon and he called it the ho-ho-hos of the Bible. You know, tribes were very, very important to the Hebrew people. You, you know, that's why this lineage is there to link certain tribes, and that was necessary for land rights or priesthood or social status. And, and they typically did focus just on male genealogy, but, but Matthew mentions these women, women that, that are misfits. The, 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 they are all questionable in, in terms of morals. Tamar, dressed as a prostitute to get impregnated by her, 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 her father-in-law, Judah, in Genesis 38. It's one of the messiest chapters in the Bible, but also, I believe, one of the most hopeful when you look that she is included in Jesus' bloodline. Rahab was a prostitute who lied to her own people to save the Israelite spies and her family. And, and Ruth is, is shown to have good character, but she was a Moabite. And, and the Moabites were a group considered cursed by the Hebrews at that time, as stated in Deuteronomy 23.3. And yet, Boaz, a man of Israel, redeemed her. And, and, and I think that Matthew's inclusion of these women suggests that grace does not run 
through your family line, but through God's promise of redemption to all of us. And so today, if you feel like a misfit because your family's past sins, maybe something your father or your great-grandfather or something that they did, God today accepts you by faith, by faith in the promise he made back in Genesis 3.15. The fourth woman was Bathsheba. He doesn't even mention her name, but she was the one who cheated on her husband Uriah with King David. She was somebody else's wife. And Matthew's inclusion of her and the other woman seems to suggest that in God's new creation, your past doesn't matter. Your past sins do not matter because God makes you something new by faith. He also shows the Hebrew nation, which felt like the promise of God was exclusively for them, that it was for everyone by including three women, possibly four, that were from outside the tribe of Israel. Three, for sure, we know, were Ruth and, and, and uh, Tamar and um, uh, Rahab were outside the tribe of Israel. Bathsheba, we don't know, but she was married to a man out, Uriah was a man outside the tribe. And, 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 and so to his Jewish audience, him bringing up these three Gentile women is kind of like bringing up skeletons in their closet. Because the Gentiles were people that this current culture hated. This current culture of the Hebrews. And, and, and maybe he mentions this because of those who are prideful in their origins, that, that trusted in their family tree more than God. Because their family tree had some black sheep. And their hope, he's telling them, is not in genetics, but in, in God himself. And, and some of you today may feel cursed today because of your own family's reputation or, or past. But friends, today in the new creation, Matthew says that all are redeemable. The foreigners, the, the sexually immoral, murderers, liars, thieves, drunkards. I don't know about you, but all those sins flow through my heritage. And I, I probably guarantee they flow through yours too. But as misfits, we are all redeemable in the new creation. You know, there's a problem when we look to men or women for our redemption. Because even in the patriarchs, there is great sin. Abraham slept with a servant girl because of his wife's plan for a child. He didn't trust God. And he also nearly prostituted his wife, Sarah. And Jacob, he was a, a deceitful trickster. And, and King David committed adultery and murder. And, and Paul in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, are we as Jews any better off? And then he paraphrases God's word in the Old Testament with this answer. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so today, if you think you're perfect, and you think you're not a misfit because of sin, then you don't understand what the, the Bible claims to be true of all of us 
in humanity. Paul sums it up this way in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you, that's everyone. And if we look to the people of the Bible as these somehow perfect heroes, we are being religious. We are misunderstanding the scriptures. The Bible from Genesis 3 there will be, says that there is only one hero, and that is the man, Jesus Christ, the offspring who will come and crush the serpent's head because he alone is the righteous one. And, and Paul concludes his summary of all being sinners in Romans uh, 3.23 with Romans 3.24 to prove the truth of what the Hebrew people need to hear that are trusting in their heritage. He says this, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Today, misfits trust in God's word about a deliverer who declares you not guilty of sin by his grace you are redeemed by his blood not through your bloodline receive him by faith in god's goodness to all of us misfits you know i was thinking our human family line and even the family line of the people in the Bible look more like Jerry Springer than Norman, Norman Rockville, don't they? Norman Rockwell. If we're honest, all families need redemption. Each one of us needs redemption. And so let's continue on with this genealogy in Matthew's gospel. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brother at the time of the deportation to Babylon. It's quite a list, right? Those are the kings. And this is where Matthew in his gospel establishes Jesus' bloodline, that he's from a lineage of kings. But friends, these kings are far from perfect. For instance, Solomon started out well as a boy, but then he fell into idol worship because of his Thousands of wives, his foreign wives, led him to idol worship. His son further divides God's kingdom and led the people even further into idolatrous worship. And out of these kings, nine out of the 14 had significant failings or were just outright wicked. That's what the Bible tells us about them. Only Jehoshaphat, Uzziah, Jotham, and Hezekiah are commended as good in the Bible. And, and this pattern shows us again that grace does not flow through family bloodline. For example, Hezekiah was a good and, and godly king, but his son Manasseh, who began his reign at age 12, which was probably a problem, and he reigned the longest of any king, he rebelled grievously. He built false 
altars to pagan gods. He worshiped the stars. He built pagan altars to the temple of the Lord. And he led God's people into idolatry. He practiced witchcraft, divination, consulted mediums. And he even sacrificed his own son, his own child, by fire like the pagans did. Matthew's inclusion of Manasseh in the genealogy seems strange considering he skipped a lot of other kings. He didn't necessarily go um, one by one down through the kingly heritage. When it says father, that, that means in the, fa- the line. So he skipped other kings, but he mentions Manasseh. Despite his long and devastating sins, which brought much shame to God's people. But see, God loved Manasseh. He loved Manasseh enough to bru- uh, rebuke him. He was captured by the Assyrian army and he was jailed in Babylon. And finally in jail in Babylon, Manasseh finally repents. He, he turns to God in prayer and God shows him mercy and he was restored back to his kingdom. And he finally did what was good and he brought Israel back to true worship of the true God. And this story shows that even a misfit like Manasseh deserving death by the law for his sins was shown mercy by our God when he finally feared the Lord and turned to him in repentance. But this cycle of sin continues with Manasseh's son Amos, who led the willing misfits of Judah back to evil. The people of Judah and their kings did not even heed the prophets that God sent them, warning them to turn and repent. And so they were exiled They were exiled to a prison, an island of misfit toys in in Babylon where they were there for 70 years. And in Babylon, God's people felt even more like misfits, taken from their home, their culture, to serve a foreign king more wicked than their own, Nebuchadnezzar. And 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 I believe part of why today some of you may feel like a misfit in this world is that you and I and the church in general today, we're living in Babylon a Babylon of sorts, a culture that is hostile to our faith. We we no longer live in a Christian culture, but we live in a foreign, godless, and secular one that that will rebuke you if you try to stand up for your faith. And this is, again, why we all need a place like Crosswinds, where God's people remind you that you are still God's son and daughter, even if we're in Babylon, and that we still live according to his ancient promise of grace, and that we will soon be brought home to him and live as sons and daughters in his kingdom. Your own brokenness caused by your own sin and the effects of living in this sinful world will someday come to an end, just as it did for God's children who were exiled for 70 years to teach them. Matthew speaks to a generation that is now occupied by a Gentile foreign oppressor, the Romans. And God had been silent to them, had not spoken to them through a prophet for 400 years due to their sin and rebellion against God. But now redemption has come. The ancient promise is about to be fulfilled. And the genealogy continues. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shetel, and Shetel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of 
Abed, and Abed was the father of Echam, and Elcham was the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok was the father of Achim, and Achim was the father of Uled, and Uled was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar was the father of Matathan, and Matathan was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Got through all those names. You know, when you have to stand up and read names in the Bible, just say them fast and with confidence because nobody knows how to pronounce these things, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, Matthew's text shows here that Jesus' descendants did not just come from a line of misfit kings, but from ordinary misfits just like you and me. Jeconiah was a king who did not rule very long because they were exiled, and his son Shittel was only notable in the Bible for being Zerubbabel's father but Zerubbabel he helped build the temple in Jerusalem after the exile and he led the captives back from Babylon but the other 10 in this lineage have no other mention in the New Testament or the Old Testament they were just ordinary folks Uh, Joseph Jesus earthly father he hailed from a, a small town called Bethlehem the birthplace of a famous beloved king and prophetically where the Messiah would be born. And and, and despite Joseph and Mary living in a nowhere town called Nazareth, God arranged history so this couple would have to travel back to Bethlehem just at the time of Jesus' birth, fulfilling prophecy. But you, O Bethlehem Epitaph, you are small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. And thus this genealogy establishes Jesus as the Messiah, as the anointed king. All the way up to this point, that's what Matthew is showing. And also he's showing us that God uses Ordinary misfits like you and I, instead of kings, to bring about his will. And so all the generations from David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. As I mentioned earlier, Matthew did not include every layer of genealogy. So we need to recognize his genealogy as a theological statement, recognizing four periods of Hebrew history. The patriarchs, the kings, the exile, and the present generation. All showing Jesus as the Messiah. And the number 14 has numerological significance in Hebrew. In Hebrew, each letter has a numeric value. And the the name David adds up to 14. Again, Matthew is showing Jesus as king. Also, the number seven in scripture is also seen as perfection. And so maybe Matthew is also illustrating God's double perfection in each period of history that he is working to bring about this new creation in Jesus. He is proving Jesus is the fulfillment of all prophecy. From Genesis 3.15, through the patriarchs, through the kings, through the prophets, to the exile, to the present. 
However, there's a break in this genealogical text right here. The text says, Joseph, the husband of Mary. See, Joseph is not tied to Jesus biologically. He's only his earthly father because legally um, that's set up because tribe inheritance and everything come through the father. And so Jesus is, is still in the family line because of Joseph. But his father is not biologically his father. God is. God is his father. And this is established as Jesus as the promised Messiah according to a prophecy told by the misfit prophet Isaiah who said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus truly was a misfit in this world. He was a misfit to this world of sinners. He was a man born of heaven, and he was a man born in the line of Abraham and David. He was God himself, Emmanuel, which means God with us. The ancient promise is fulfilled by a deliverer God sent to us through a genealogical line of misfits and himself. He kept his promise showing that he is faithful in his promises to all us misfits that should give us all hope this Christmas. Jesus came as a different type of king. He, he never involved himself in the politics of this world, this misfit world. He never tried to rise to power. Instead, he served, and he taught ordinary, everyday misfits wherever he went. But friends, that's not even why he came. He was not here to reign over us like a king or, or, or be a great teacher like he was. He came to serve us like a priest. A, a priest role was to make a sacrifice for the people's sins. And Hebrews 14, 14 says this about Jesus. Since we have a high, a great high priest who has passed through heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then draw confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Friends, because we are all misfits. We're all separated from God and exiled to this world because of our sin. And we all need a priest to sacrifice for us. And Jesus was that high priest that sacrificed himself as the perfect Lamb of God on the cross. And his blood satisfied the total cost of your sin and my sin according to God's law. He paid it in full, allowing himself to be cursed by the law instead of us. He himself faced the humiliation and the pain of the cross because of God's love for each one of us. He fulfilled God's ancient promise by defeating death, defeating the power of sin, and defeating our ancient foe, that devil. And by faith in his love and his goodness to all us misfits, we are able to be forgiven 
and given everlasting life. The Bible says this, for the wages of sin is death. But then it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so friends, today misfits, he is offering his grace to you through an ancient promise that God gave to redeem you. But friends, you must accept it. Matthew's genealogy proves it. That, that grace is possible for you today. It, it, it doesn't matter how much you've sinned today. How much your family has sinned. Or even how much you, good you've done in this world. It doesn't matter how you feel. It, it doesn't matter that you think you are the worst bad boy or the worst bad girl that ever lived, just like Manasseh. It, it doesn't matter if you believe you and everyone else believes that you are unredeemable. Friends, today I want to say to you, God, through the ages, has believed in you. And he had sent his own son, Jesus, Emmanuel, for you today. In closing, we, we see clearly in Matthew's gospel that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's ancient promise to redeem us, misfits. Despite a lineage, a family history that's deeply flawed through the men and women of our humanity, God worked through their stories to bring us the Messiah born in Bethlehem. Jesus came not only as the kingly son of David, but also the sacrificial lamb of God and also as the high priest who atoned for our sins, covered our sins. Friends, we can all feel like misfits in this world. We're not of this world. We're, we're of heaven. We're made in the image of God. Sometimes we don't feel like we fit in with the culture around us. Sometimes we don't feel like we fit into the impossible standard of perfection that we have in our own mind or other people's minds for us. We feel exiled, struggling, trying to find purpose, purpose in this world and community and a tribe. And whether that's because of our own sin or the brokenness that we live around in this world, we need his grace today. We need his forgiveness. And we need his redemption. And the good news of this season is God's love is wide and it's deep enough to redeem any misfit who places their trust in Jesus. He alone fulfilled the ancient promise to reconcile us wayward sons and daughters back to the Father. Christmas marks the arrival of our high priest and our king. No matter your heritage, or your shortcomings. You are welcomed in God's family through Christ this Christmas. He wants to bring you into his holy lineage, into his holy bloodline. He wants to make you into a new creation, give you a new heart, make you his son or his daughter. Today, 
if you will repent and believe in him. Your identity will no longer be found in the dysfunction of your past or past generations or in the sins of this present darkness. Your identity will be found in being his son or his daughter. Today, misfits, come and walk in the new life Christ came to bring you this Christmas. You are not alone and strange in the world. You have a home today in him. And you have a home today in his church, in this place called Crosswinds. Let us pray. Father, you are faithful. Often we are not. Often your people fall into sin. But Lord, you are faithful. Your word proves that to all generations and every time and every person. And Father, I pray today that you would send the Holy Spirit to hover above this room and create a new creation in hearts. That you would convict us of our sin. That you would convict us of your faithful and holy promise to us. And that you would convict us that now is the time that we do not need to delay. That today is the time to come home. Father, I just pray if there's anybody here that feels lost and alone in this world, that they would turn to you today in repentance, knowing that if you could love Manasseh, you could love anybody. Draw them to you today by faith, faith in your goodness. I pray that in Jesus' name.